Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's episode is called This Charming Man. It's by Stuff National Correspondent Steve Kilgallen, who joins me now. Hi, Steve. Hi, Michael. This Charming Man. Who is he? Um, So it's Jeremy Wells. um, And this story was on the cover when we relaunched Sunday Magazine in the Sunday Star Times. And... I was intrigued by Jeremy because there was a spell where you drove around Auckland and there was billboards of him and Matt Heath for their breakfast radio show sort of gurning at the camera in double denim. And then in the evening you could turn him on in a suit doing uh, Seven Sharp. I thought that was a really interesting contrast to explore. Yeah, so I'm sure most listeners will know who Jeremy Wells is. You just described him. He's, he's kind of an enigma that way to be still slightly subversive breakfast radio host and the presenter of a broad, mainstream, soft news magazine show. I can't really think of anyone else like that in the media. Yeah, yeah. I think he has this unique chameleon thing going on. And when you're writing a profile, I think um, you try and play amateur psychologist, right? And he presented a challenge in that, you know, who is the real Jeremy Wells and what's he all about? And, you know, when you're writing a piece like this, you, you try and unpick these people and try and work out who they really are. And um, I suppose one technique I've used in this story is to try and work around the subject and talk to all his friends and see if that sheds any illumination on who he really is. Yeah, so listeners will hear, he, he plays it very straight in this story, which seems genuine, but... He is also, yeah, like this classic comedic straight man. That's his shtick. So you're kind of always fascinated. What's he really like? Does he really mean that? He's been that way forever. I was like the perfect age for Havoc and Newsboy, and he's had that persona, that comic persona, the whole time. And now here he is apparently doing the same thing genuinely. So what What do you? What, what, is, what is he really like is what I'm getting at, I think. Yeah, and, and, and I, I went away liking him, um, which I suppose is, is the point, is that he wants you to like him. Um, and a, a generation after you would remember eating um, media lunch where he did the same thing. He, was, he had this very, very straight face while he said all sorts of ridiculous stuff. Um, so I suppose he may well have been gaming me like he's been gaming <laughs> the whole of New Zealand for 30 years, you know, who could tell? All right, let's let our listeners be the judge. Here is Steve with a bit of strong language, reading his story, This Charming Man. It would be like urinating in someone's lounge room, Jeremy Wells tells me of misbehaving on the seven-sharp sofa. Rude. Unwelcome. Career-limiting. Four years into his spell on the current affairs show's gunmetal couch, Wells is still often asked if he's really taking it all seriously. Or, as his mate James McConey puts it, I'm still waiting for the real Jerry to cut loose and tell the boomers what he thinks of them. But Wells wants the boomers to know he loves them and he loves his job. Forget the shenanigans of Newsboy and welcome the new, moderate Jeremy Wells, a man who meditates at lunchtime, is restrained in his drinking, jogs, eats well, tries to be an engaged parent and describes himself as politically centrist. 
And while it helps that New Zealand has just won the Test Cricket World Championship when I talk to him, he also seems very, very happy. And so he should be. A friend of mine said that someone has to be Jeremy Wells, and at least he wasn't a complete c observes Matt Heath, who has co-hosted the Radio Horaki Breakfast Show with Wells for the past seven years. Like, if someone has to be him, I'm glad it's him, and not some a-hole. If I was Jeremy, I'd probably be an arsehole about it. By his own admission, Wells has been tremendously lucky. There's the blue blood upbringing, the full head of hair at the age of 44, his 20-year domestic relationship, and a career which has been a charm progression to New Zealand's fifth biggest TV audience. Because he's handsome and well-off, straight away you're highly sceptical and think, I've got to dislike this person, says McConey, who works with Wells on the Alternative Commentary Collective, a comedic cricket commentary show. And it's very hard to do, because he's a very good guy. Wells can reflect on several occasions of good fortune or a well-judged fork-in-the-road decision that has led him to where he's ended up. The two most obvious were his expulsion from Fonganui Collegiate at 17 for giving a cap of cannabis oil to a recovering drug addict and his early departure from his journalism degree for failing to attend enough classes. Neither incident is quite as bad as the headline. He was cajoled slash pressured into the cannabis handover and his tertiary absenteeism was because he was already working on the student station BFM. Two great moments, Wells says, grinning. Without them, I wouldn't be here talking to you. The first redirected him to St Paul's in Hamilton, where an interest in television and journalism was ignited. The second was where he formed a career-defining partnership with maverick broadcaster Mikey Havoc. And, the way he explains it, Seven Sharp was also a stroke of luck. Mike Hosking's resignation from the gig came late in 2017 and, about a fortnight before the show was due to return from its Christmas hiatus, he got the call. At first, he doubted if he was capable or even wanted to do it. Then, he thought, if he said no, and 20 years later he was telling people he'd once been offered the show, who would believe him? After all, Jeremy Wells doing a post-news soft magazine show? And so, since January 2018, we've had Wells, sharp-suited, hair heavily pomaded, sitting beside Hillary Berry at 7pm every weeknight. It's as weird as Donald Trump being president, says fellow comedian Guy Williams, who says Wells' early subversive work was a major influence. This is a comedian now doing the thing that he parodied. Exactly. That's mad. Wells wasn't thinking that as he initially sat there. He was, he says. Genuinely petrified, desperate to not fluff his first live cross. I could feel my heart beating through my shirt. My microphone was on my chest, next to my tie, and I thought, you've got to be able to hear that. I was terrified. And afterwards? It was exhilarating once it was finished, and I thought, I get this, he says. When you do it every day, you sort of get used to it over a period of time. It definitely feels good and I look forward to going on every night. He talks with enthusiasm about the rare opportunity they have to broadcast live, with the ability to ad-lib, and of the size of the audience. He speaks with warmth about the stories they put to air about real, regional New Zealanders, and how TVNZ1 is Heartland New Zealand. There is nothing elite about it, he says. It speaks to ordinary New Zealanders. 
I'm almost certain he's sincere, although of course you can never be certain with Wells. But then several people tell me of his deep love for the craft and history of TV. And his colleagues say he's, well, collegial. Seven Sharp supervising producer Nicola Russell, a recent hire, describes him as kind and welcoming, full of ideas and unflappable, even when a guinea pig urinated on his lap during a show recently. Incidentally, the stuff other people offer up just makes him an even more irritatingly good bloke. He can cook, he can sail. He would, reckons McConey, be an assassin on your pub quiz team. Barry declares their seven sharp chemistry genuine. I'm lucky I don't have to fake anything with Jeremy, she says. I'm at my best broadcasting with someone who cracks me up. Wells says he never planned to undermine the show. It's not going to go very well if you do that, and I was aware of that. Although he does consider the occasional double entendre perfectly permissible. He's a smart man, adds Barry, and smart people don't come and shit on a product that's successful. Poignantly, Wells used to do a brilliant impersonation of Mike Hosking, and says one of the reasons he stopped was that he inherited Hosking's desk, computer, parking spot, changing room. He left behind, Wells claims, a Kenny Rogers LP and a Bible. And of course he now has his job. He says he always appreciated Hosking as a broadcaster, if not his politics, but suspects there would not be natural drinking buddies. But then the counterpoint. The week before I interviewed him, I spent a good hour listening to his Radio Horaki breakfast show. It was just before the Cricket World Test Championship final, and Wells, a huge cricket lover, was fizzing. For some reason, he kept repeating a short phrase, ostensibly cricket-related, but actually a reference to underage sex. He's entirely unperturbed that I've raised this. It just sounds wrong, doesn't it? He agrees cheerily. One of those things, you say it because it sounds funny and it rhymes, and you know it's an inappropriate thing to say. It's certainly not something I believe in my own life. Imagine if that was one of my key philosophies. And this is the Wells dichotomy. On posters advertising Horaki, he's leering in a denim jacket. For seven sharp promos, it's suit, tie, smile. He has a foot in both camps. Long-time collaborator Paul Cassily, who directed Wells in Eating Media Lunch, The Unauthorised History of New Zealand, and documentaries about birdwatching and classical music, says fondly, When you're younger, you rail against the establishment. Then sometimes, you become the establishment. He's also trying to maintain a little element of being the outsider, and maybe saying things the CEO and the people in marketing won't be happy with. And if you can do that without being fired, maybe you're in the sweet spot. Cassily notes that he's now also more body conscious and very fit. He has a sunbed in his house. In those days, he was a bleached punk waster. Now he's out jogging every day. But otherwise, he's essentially exactly the same person. Daily, Wells rises at 5, arrives at Radio Horaki at 5.45, and is on air from 6 until 9, records a podcast segment, and takes the three-minute walk to TVNZ for Seven Charts morning conference, then returns to Horaki for a debrief. If he's not filming a story for Seven Sharp after that, he has time to go for a run, cook himself lunch, and, he claims, briefly meditate, before leaving his Ponsonby home to return to TVNZ for 2.30pm. He gets home at about 8pm. It means he never has breakfast or dinner during the week with his children, Mishka, 11, and Hugo, 9, and his partner of 20 years, film producer Tulsi Bramley. There's a sacrifice there, he says. 
But he tries to be around on the weekends, be present, not be on his phone, take good holidays. Whether or not that makes up for it, I don't think it does, but every person makes sacrifices in one way or another, he says. That's probably a sacrifice I'll look back on when my kids are in jail. And that's okay, I can take a share of the blame. Wells was never, despite newsboys' peroxide hair and confrontational persona, intentionally a rebel. I certainly didn't want to be kicked out of school, he says. That was terrible. It was the low point of my life, probably. It caused deep shame and embarrassment for my family, and I felt terrible about that. Wells comes from patrician Remuera stock. His father, Sir John, is a former chair of Sport New Zealand and a retired merchant banker. His mother, Lady Cheryl, was a long-time manager of the Silver Ferns. They have a beautiful big house on the beach at Paranui. I'm told his brother, a lawyer, is almost a diametric opposite in character. He's a detail person, says Wells. I'm more of a vibe guy. Wells says he always tried hard at school, did okay academically and okay in sport, playing first 11 cricket, but never destined for higher honours. He really, really loves cricket. We once played on opposing sides in a twilight game, and I remember him as a brooding, serious presence beneath a bucket hat. At 19, he left home and never felt his background to be a handicap in the scruffy world of student media. He came from privilege, sure, but he was raised with that old, egalitarian, everyone's-the-same approach. And he doubts his mum and dad were actually listening to him read the news on Havoc's BFM show. It's not like these days when you go to an up-and-coming band and their parents are at the gig, he says. Wells went with Havoc to television when he was commissioned first to make the Havoc show, then Havoc and Newsboys sell-out tour, the straighter man to Havoc's wild man. Newsboy was, one of my stuff colleagues says, every teenage girl's crush. He was hot in an anti-establishment, louche, youth sort of way, and I would have died to pass him. They were wild days, says Cassily, who worked on both shows. We didn't realise how good we had it, how free we were to do whatever we wanted. We had a lot of leeway, because nobody was kind of watching. You mean as in no adults? No, Cassily says. I'm not sure how many people were actually watching. Back then, says Wells, there was a TVNZ charter, an appetite for local late-night programming and particularly challenging programmes that spawned stuff like Havoc and then later Pulp Sport, Moon TV, Back of the Y and his own eating media lunch. Now, says Wells, there's not a lot of appetite from the network's perspective and NZ On Air is a much safer organisation than it was in those days. So you're getting a lot less of that stuff commissioned. And of course there's now YouTube. What would happen if he asked TVNZ to make a reunion show of Eating Media Lunch? They'd laugh at me, Wells says. They would laugh in my face. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. 
You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Wells reckons if we were to watch his back catalogue together, he'd be asking for entire episodes to be excised from history. But I think part of the reason I'm able to live and not be an unhappy person, he says, is I have an ability to almost forget negative things. I don't really hold on to grudges. It's not because I am trying to forget about it. I really do forget about it. Fortunately for me, Stuff once produced a bullet-pointed list of Wells's controversies. There's no time to run through them before one manages to lumber back into his cerebral cortex without prompting. Gay old gore. It was very mild. Very mild, Wells agrees. Just him and Havoc, in the Southland episode of Havoc and Newsboys Sellout Tour, sitting on a rock under the giant trout, extemporising. Wells declared the town the birthplace of New Zealand's first gay man. The reaction, as he recalls, was more from the town mayor's subsequent declaration that there were no gays in gore. I think people believed that in 1998, he says. It was a different climate. Subsequently, I have met gay people from Gore. Mike Peru is a good example. He is from Gore, he is gay, and he said that when that happened it felt really liberating. Anyway, ten years later at 2am in a mobile service station in Gore, an angry large man and then an angry crowd confronted Wells. The man spat on him, shoved him, and Wells remembers grabbing a bottle of V energy drink, ready to use it as a weapon if he had to, and being genuinely scared. It's the worst reaction he's ever had, he says. Although when he says this, he comes from a position of blissful ignorance. He deliberately ignores all external comments, and so has no idea if his Seven Sharp debut brought any hate mail. I won't read this either, so you can say whatever you want about me. I won't seek it out, I won't Google myself. I won't look at what people say about me anywhere. If you read things that are good about you, it doesn't make you feel good. It just doesn't make you feel bad. And if you read anything that's slightly negative, immediately it's not a nice feeling. So who knows what people might say? People might hate me. Even as we speak, there might be a number of people posting horrific things. But people don't seem to. He's pretty well loved. Horeki co-host Heath says he has escaped opprobrium for his escapades because there's no malice to his comedy. He's just relentless in his pursuit of the best gag. When it came to eating media lunch, a bizarre, hilarious confection that ran from 2003 to 2008 and saw Wells soberly mocking it all from behind a desk, those gags included two newsreaders copulating, Wells simulating masturbation, a cat in a microwave oven, and a spoof porn film called Anal Mana. Throughout, Wells' hair hanging limp by either cheek had this particular capacity to say and listen to anything with a completely straight face. You go into a kind of meditative state, he says. He says people assume that was his actual personality. I am proud of that because it means you're doing a convincing job of it. It would also mean you were reasonably one-dimensional. I don't think I ever laughed on that show. Imagine being that person in reality. Actually, he says, beginning to consider it more deeply, it wasn't a very inclusive show. It had so many in-jokes, and if you didn't understand a whole lot of things, there was a reasonably high barrier to entry, he says. It's an interesting attitude to take to broadcasting, to say to people that you're going to need to know a whole lot of things to watch this show, 
And if you don't know these things, you're not going to really enjoy it. You're going to be confused and feel inadequate. It's a bigger challenge, he says, to make broad, inclusive and entertaining as possible television. That's not an easy thing to do. That's the harder thing to do. But nah, he says, he was never taking the piss out of the good folk who'd be watching TV One at 7pm on a weeknight. He felt eating media lunch always punched up. All right, he says, sometimes I just punch people older than them. He wouldn't do that now. I was just trying to appeal to the Ponsonby 500 for the longest time, he says. I was wanting to impress my friends. And that's not really the way to rating success, it turns out. But it seems now he's found it. Nielsen's most recent ratings tell me that 471,000 New Zealanders are tuning into him each night. And he's up for it, excited even, to the point he can't conceive of anything else. Well, I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. I could keep on doing what I'm doing, as long as people are happy to have me. That was This Charming Man on the Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Steve Kilgallen and produced by me, Michael Wright. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you're listening via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.